You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked on Seahawks. Joining me for our Tuesday episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Glad to have you listening in. Going to be a jam-packed episode. We're going to be looking back at Seattle's own free agent signings, the ones that they chose to resign and the ones they let walk away last offseason, reflect a bit on which moves went well and which ones didn't necessarily go well. Plus, we're going to take a close peek at some extension candidates and play a bit of a game to close out the show. So let's get to it. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. Typically, the first order of business whenever the season ends, whether your team's out of the playoffs or you get knocked out in the wild card round or the divisional round, whenever your season ends, typically the first order of business for NFL teams is signing some of their players, mainly off the practice squad, to future and reserve contracts. The Seahawks have already taken care of that, signing 12 players off their practice squad, along with Miles Adams, who spent a brief tenure on Seattle's practice squad during the 2020 season. But the team did a really good job locking up a bunch of their promising young players that spent the season primarily working on that practice squad so they can take part in off-season programs, whatever that ends up being this year, and set up these guys to potentially, some of them have an opportunity to maybe make the 53-man roster in 2021. Yeah, and that's one of the exciting things, Corbin, is that, you know, obviously you'd rather the Seahawks be participating in the postseason still. But at the same time, because you're not, then you do have a little bit of advantage here to be able to kind of set up your roster. And as you mentioned, re-sign 12 of these players, um, then you have a little bit more of a feel for, for what Seattle's plans might be. And then you look at this team, the, this collection of players, among them are four wide receivers, Aaron Fuller, Penny Hart, Cody Thompson, and John Ursuna. Now, we have talked over and over over again uh, about how Seattle needs to find a third reliable pass catcher in this offense. I think the fact that at least a, a quarter of this group is uh, playing that position, I think Seattle is thinking the exact same thing. Yeah, that was something that immediately jumped out to me looking at this list is that you're looking at close to a third of the players they signed being receivers. And they also have a tight end in there that's got receiving ability in Tyler Mabry. So that is clearly something that the Seahawks are going to be emphasizing here. And they did throughout the season too. They kept all four of those players. Penny Hart was on the active roster for most of the season, but Aaron Fuller, Cody Thompson, and John Ursua were all on the practice squad all year long. And none of them got an opportunity to get promoted for a game, but they stayed on the practice squad all year. Looking at the rest of the list, offensive tackle Tommy Champion, cornerback Danny Etling, as well as Alex Magoo, former seventh-round pick that was brought back during the middle of the season. Both of those signal callers were signed to future reserve contracts. Cornerback Gavin Heslop, defensive tackle Cedric Lattimore, center Brad Lundblade, cornerback Jordan Miller, and of course I mentioned defensive tackle Miles Adams, the one outside signing. He did spend a little bit of time on Seattle's practice squad before he was waived towards the end of the season. So he's a player that the Seahawks are familiar with, but you see a few position groups that they're focusing on. They've got their two defensive tackles, the four receivers, a couple of quarterbacks that they can bring to training camp potentially next August. And they got a couple of young corners that they really like in Heslop and Jordan Miller, former Washington player that 
They just signed a few weeks ago, so he's new to the program, but that tells me that he's a guy they were very excited about the opportunity to sign late in the season so they could get a close look at him when we get to off-season program and training camp. Yeah, and he's that classic long arm cover corner, the guy that, that will hit you a little bit. So so I think that he is a nice addition to the team. Um, and so one that you know certainly the, the local uh, football fans will be excited about. I, I think if you had to you know, ask me my favorite player on this roster, it was the one that we saw actually make the, the contributions um, to Seattle's active roster, and that being the defensive tackle Cedric Lattimore as well as the receiver Penny Hart, as you mentioned. He was on, on Seattle's active roster for a big part of this season. And they're just guys that maybe don't, uh, you know, fit the the bill as far as having the the, the elite height or, or straight line speed. But they're both active physical players. Uh, Penny Hart is much quicker um, than his straight line forty yard dash time might suggest. And and so again, to me, those are the kind of guys that, that Seattle has been able to build their roster off in the past. Is the guys who ne- don't necessarily uh, you know make every mark in terms of the measurables, but just play with the the intensity, the physical the competitiveness that has been, uh, you know, trademarks of Seattle throughout the, the Pete Carroll and John Schneider era. Yeah, when I look at this list, Lattimore is the first one that jumps out to me just because of how he played in his NFL debut against the Rams in that wild card game. He finished third on the team in tackles. He had six of them. Did he get pushed around at times? Absolutely. But this is still a kid that's very raw. He is not 23 years old yet. He is a former basketball player, so you know that he's athletic at 300 pounds. I think he's got the potential to be a really solid rotational three-tech for the Seahawks, and I think he's going to have a much bigger role next season when he's had another offseason to continue working on his technique and getting stronger. And so he is the one name on that list that really jumps out. A couple other guys that I think could get a bigger look, a more extended look next year, especially if there are preseason games, that was the one thing that was really missing for these undrafted free agents coming in as rookies that prevented them from really getting much of a look compared to a normal season. But if you have preseason games back, I think Tommy Champion, the former Mississippi State tackle, he's got the size and the strength. He is a player, though, that needs a lot of work technically. He might be a guy that in the future can get some snaps for them, but he was just in the practice squad this year. He's one to keep an eye on. And, of course, John Ursua at the receiver position, we thought he was going to have a fairly big role this year. He had a good training camp, but – Penny Hart ended up beating him out. Could year three be the year that we finally see John Ursua make an impact? We'll have to wait and see. The other player on here, Tyler Mabry, I mentioned him a moment ago. Tyler Mabry had a really solid, surprising training camp last year, and there was actually some buzz that maybe he might sneak onto the 53-man roster. Assuming that Greg Olson and Jacob Hollister are not back, even if one of those players is gone. There is going to be an open roster spot. There is always the possibility that Tyler Mabry could play his way onto the roster next year, especially after being on the practice squad throughout the 2020 season. This team has gotten a chance to work with him. He's a young player that showed he could catch the ball. He can block a little bit. And so that is another guy that I would certainly keep eyes on during the offseason program and once they get into training camp. When we come back for the second quarter, we're going to look back at John Schneider's re-signings that he made last offseason, players that were already on Seattle's roster that they chose to keep, and of course the players that they let walk. We will look at the good and the bad decisions from last offseason in that regard. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. 
Are we ready for some football? Coming up this weekend, it's championship weekend in the NFL. The Chiefs hosting the Bills in the AFC championship game. And the Packers hosting the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at Lambeau Field in the NFC championship game. There is only one place that has you covered and one place we trust, betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code Locked On for your 50% welcome bonus. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Tuesday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, joined as always by Rob Rang. Betting on the NFL does not have to be a guessing game. If you listen to the new Locked On Bets podcast, hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling, get daily picks and quick-hitting advice to make the smartest possible wagers, subscribe to the Locked On Bets podcast, brought to you by betonline.ag, wherever you get podcasts. It's Throwback Tuesday. Last week, Rob, we had a chance to look at some of the outside signings that the Seattle Seahawks made during the offseason last year. Now we're going to look at some of the players that they retained that were on the roster in 2019 that they opted to re-sign, and of course, some players that the Seahawks chose not to re-sign and allowed to walk to other teams in free agency. And I think when we start on the good side of the equation, one contract that ended up working out quite nicely for the Seattle Seahawks was bringing back Jaron Reed. There was a lot of debate about giving him over $20 million for two years, but all he did was go out and produce six and a half sacks and 14 quarterback hits. Not quite his 2018 production, but still a very strong season, particularly once Carlos Dunlap arrived. His play really took off, and then he added two sacks in their wild card game as well. Really played well the last two months of the season. Yeah, that's where I think that that Reed really started to justify that that big contract. I mean, because as you said, he was he has not yet been as productive as he was in that 2018 campaign. But you know, a big part of that, at least in my opinion, was what was just what the, the Seahawks had on the outside with Frank Clark. And then once they were able to to bring in a more established pass rusher in Carlos Dunlap, and it wasn't uh, you know getting double teams um, and, and quite as much of attention from uh, opposing offensive lines, that's when you saw Reed really start to take off. So I thought that that was was a big uh, re-signing by the club and, and a recommitment to uh, one of their younger, tougher, more uh, you know competitive players. Um, so I thought that was a good move. And I would argue that the, the bringing back Mike Yapati was an underrated move as well. Now, clearly, that you, you wish that he was a little bit more durable. You wish that he was a little bit younger um, because Seattle still has some huge concerns at the left guard position. Yapati is going to be another player. Seattle's going to have to decide if they want to bring him back yet again. Again. Um, but at the same time, I do believe that they, he brought Seattle a lot more consistency at the offensive line they would not have had because, of course, again, uh, Jamarco Jones struggled with injuries. Phil Haynes was unable to, to stay on the field. Jordan Simmons as well. Yapati is that kind of that, that sixth man along the offensive line that you always can rely on. And that's one of the reasons why I think that, again, that he is a player that is a little bit more valuable than just his uh, what he costs financially. Yeah, and I think when you look at how much the Seahawks have paid for Mike Upati the last two years, they've gotten him at a pretty good discount when you consider that he used to be an all-pro and Pro Bowl caliber player, and obviously injuries and age have sapped some of his talent. But he had a stretch during the middle of the season. He He missed a few games due to injury, and then he came back, and he played really well in the middle of the season, and then he unfortunately got banged up again late in the year, missed a few games. He came back in time for the playoffs, but... 
didn't play very well in that game against the Rams. Understandably, he was going against Aaron Donald and Michael Brockers and Sebastian Joseph Day, who might be one of the most improved players in the NFL, just as the Rams needed another really good defensive tackle that can rush the passer and stuff the run. But you take that game out of the equation, the games that he was healthy, Mike Upati played really solid football, not the best football of his career, obviously. Again, he was an all-pro player early in his career at the 49ers. But I think for what they paid for him, he was pretty solid at the left guard position. They're again going to be facing a bit of a dilemma there, whether they want to bring him back or not. Obviously, he knows Mike Solari's system really well, having played for him in San Francisco and now the last two years in Seattle. But he also is going to be 34 years old, and he's missed a ton of games with various injuries. And so with their cap constraints, I don't know that we'll see him back. But as far as grading that signing this year, I think that that was a solid B, and I think Jaron Reed was a solid B+. plus When you consider the pass rushing production you got, those two re-signings were really solid. Now, some of the players the Seahawks chose to allow to leave ended up working out in their favor as well. And I think you and I can both agree the player that was in the headlines for like 15 months, it felt like, when trying to figure out where Jadevian Clowney was going to be going for his 2020 season he didn't sign until training camp right before training camp the titans ended up reaching a deal with him and unfortunately for Clowney, his past injury issues caught up with him again and he had no sacks with the titans before landing on injured reserve and undergoing surgery i think it's safe to say the seahawks have to be feeling pretty good about their decision not to bring him back yeah, that was one of the things, you know, is that I, I remember after the season and, of course, we were dealing with COVID at that time, and, and, and the Seahawks basically said, you know, we know his body. We we know what he can do and what he can't and how to take care of him. And, you know, and other teams didn't know them. That contributed to why Clowney, you know, waited as long as he did before he finally matched up with the club. And, and just I remember how disappointed uh, that there's so many Seahawks fans were when, when Clowney wound up signing elsewhere. But you're right, Corbin. I mean, Seattle looks pretty smart in, at the end of the game here um, just because Clowney was unable to stay healthy and wound up being a non-factor for a Tennessee Titans team that looked like they were in the midst of a, of a possible Super Bowl run and also wound up being bounced out of the playoffs in, in the opening round. So um, that is one that, that winds up working out pretty well for the club. Uh, on the same time, I, I was shocked that Jermaine Effetti wound up not getting any type of a, of a big-time contract offer in, in free agency, and he wound Wound up being a solid starter for the Chicago Bears, but it was inside at that guard position. Seattle had, of course, tried a Fetty earlier there. They wanted him to play at that right tackle position, a position that he had struggled with any type of consistency throughout his time in, in Seattle. So that's another one that I think that, that Seattle, in a way, actually improved by subtraction there uh, on both sides of the line of scrimmage. I think that Jermaine Effetti, when you look at what he did, he actually slid back out to tackle for the Bears late in the season when they made the little bit of a surge to get to the playoffs. But, you know, he had a solid season compared to what he had in Seattle. He ended up playing well down the stretch for them. But, again, he battled issues with penalties. And, quite frankly, Brandon Shell was just better. And, yeah, they paid more money than the Bears did to sign Effetti. Effetti got basically a veteran's minimum deal, which you and I were both really shocked about last offseason but when you consider his production and George Fant he started most of the games for the Jets at right tackle and he had an okay season for a two-win team but neither one of those players played as well as Brandon Shell did until Shell had his ankle injury obviously he didn't play very well in that postseason game got to wonder how healthy he really was but 
for the season, Brandon Shell was much better than those two. And so the Seahawks have to be feeling pretty good about that. And they have Shell coming back next season on the second year of his contract. And so they don't have to worry about that one and done situation with him either. That looks like that was a smart trade off by the Seahawks. Now, when you're looking at the bad, Seattle honestly did not re sign very many of their own players. And so there aren't a lot of bad signings to look at. The two that jump out to me that just didn't work out, and obviously you didn't pay a ton of money for either of them. Josh Gordon has to be included on here because you didn't get any snaps out of him. He just got put back on the suspension list. It's unfortunate. You you wish for the best for Josh Gordon. But again, if you count on him at all, you're probably not going to get anything out of it. That's just the unfortunate truth here with Josh Gordon. And he did not produce any numbers for the Seahawks, was not active for any games. So that one-year contract ended up being worth nothing. And Nico Thorpe spent two different times at injured reserve. And so I think that he's a really good special teams player, but this is the second straight season he's had major injury issues. I think at this point with his age, the injury problems he's had, the Seahawks just have to move on. Those two contracts just simply did not work out. No, they really did not, you know, and so that's the thing is that, you know, it's one of the the cruelest things about the National Football League is that age waits for no man. And so, um, you know, we see players that physically break down and as much of as a a team captain as Nico Thorpe is um, and a guy who is very well respected throughout that entire organization. then yeah, that wound up not working out um, so well for for the team. And and fortunately, um, that was the case with another player that wound up being brought back to tie in Luke Wilson. Um, the fact that, that he just did not look like the same type of the caliber of athlete that he was when Seattle drafted him out of Rice all those years ago. Um, obviously, he wound up getting released at one point, signed with Baltimore, came right back um, to Seattle, actually. But at the same time, to me, those are the types of players, Corbin, that that help you build a team as far as the just the, the, their competitive spirit in the locker room. At the same time, this is a game that you have to actually put some points on the board. You have to be able to make those tackles and you can't make the club or help the club if you're in the tub kind of thing. So um, because of those guys that have struggled with durability, struggled with just the, the, the losing their, their speed that they once had, then unfortunately those wound up being uh, moves that, that Seattle was not able to gain from. When we return for the third quarter, we're going to play a bit of a game here looking at seven different players that are going to be entering the final year of their contract with the Seahawks. Which one should Seattle prioritize extending a year early? We'll be right back. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As an avid weightlifter and distance runner, I'm always looking for an edge when it comes to nutrition, seeking delicious, healthy protein bars without the crazy additives. Since being diagnosed with celiac disease, my options have been pretty limited. Until now. Enter in the Built Bar, a low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, gluten-free protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Built Bar now comes in 18 mouth-watering flavors, including six new delicious flavors such as caramel brownie and cookies and cream. My all-time favorite is peanut butter brownie, which is 20 grams of protein, just 3 grams of sugar, and 3 grams of net carbs. Since I had my first Built Bar, I never go without one when I hit the weight room or go for a jog. All Built Bars are 100% chocolate, nut and gluten-free, soft and easy to chew, and don't have the nasty aftertaste of competing protein bars. Sound too good to be true? Go to BuiltBar.com and build your own custom box with your choice of flavors using the code LOCKEDON for $10 off. You will also receive a free cooler with your first purchase while supplies last. So what are you waiting for? Change your workout game by going to BuiltBar.com and entering code LOCKEDON for $10 off. 
Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Tuesday edition. I'm Corbin Smith, joined by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. For some NFL teams, the games may be over, but the work is just beginning. Join Trevor Sikma and Benjamin Solik of Locked On NFL Draft podcast every Tuesday as they start their Team Takeover Tuesday offseason series. Each week, they pick a new team, take a deep dive into potential front office and head coach signings, a roster review, free agent strategies, and go through a team-centric mock draft. That's every Tuesday over at Locked On NFL Draft. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. As we've seen over the years, John Schneider now going to be entering his 12th season as the general manager for the Seahawks. He is no stranger when it comes to extending players who have one year left in their deal. Now, in the past, he has been greatly against extending players that have more than one year left under contract. But we saw it a couple years ago with Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner. They got both of those players record-breaking deals to extend them with one year left in their contract. We saw it with Dwayne Brown in 2018. A few years before that, Tyler Lockett got his new deal when he still had a year left on his rookie contract. And so John Schneider has always been really proactive when it comes to re-signing and extending players that have one year left in their deal. And Rob, I think this year you are going to see more of an emphasis on that from every team in the league because quite frankly, the all these teams are looking at a major salary cap crunch. And one way that you can open up some immediate cap space for this year to offset having only 175 or $180 million in cap space to work with due to the pandemic, one of the ways you can fix that issue is by extending some of your key players that only have one year left under contract. You can lower the cap hits for those players. And fortunately for John Schneider, and we're going to be looking at these players here in a second, but they've got seven players that are going to be entering the final year of their deal. And a number of these guys have large cap hits. There is the potential to create immediate cap flexibility while also locking up a lot of these really good players for the foreseeable future. Yeah, that's a really good point, Corbin. I, I think that you are going to see a lot of teams uh, are going to make, very much try and take that strategy. And I don't know that you're necessarily going to see teams just limit it to, to players who only have one year extend, one year left on their deal. I think you might see some teams um, that, that might be willing to do that for players that have two or even three years on their deal still, just because that they you do want to retain your best players, obviously, but you also have the just the salary cap, uh, you know, being limited this year and so it's going to force teams to be very creative um, and so I'll, I'm going to list the seven names of the players that um, that are out there. But again, I, I would mention a player like a DK Metcalf, who of course has two more years on, on his deal, but that might be somebody that, that Seattle has to kind of consider trying to lock in for the long term rather than just allow that, that uh, contract to blow up here in a couple of years because we're already establishing what a spectacular player he is and the work ethic that he has demonstrated on and off the field as well. But of those seven players, we have Jamal Adams, Dwayne Brown, Quandre Diggs, Tyler Lockett, Brandon Shell, Carlos Dunlap, and the aforementioned Jaron Reed. And I think you can make a strong argument for every single one of these seven players, Corbin. But at the same time, I think that if you had to just pick out one, just the fact that Jamal Adams made the huge impact that he made once he was brought into Seattle, knowing what you already had to give up in terms of uh, you know draft capital to acquire him in the first place, to me, that has to be priority number one. What we're going to be doing to make this a bit more fun for our listeners, and honestly, you and I are going to have fun debating on this, but 
Many of you have probably heard of the app Tinder, and it's pretty popular these days. You swipe right to get a date with somebody, swipe left to pass on that person. It's the modern way of dating. It kind of scares me if I was still in the dating game. I don't know that this would be what I would do, but a lot of people enjoy it. And so we're going to be playing this periodically throughout the offseason here, Seahawks offseason Tinder, and we're going to be doing it with these seven players who have one year left under contract with the Seahawks and how this works, Rob, just like the app. If you want to extend the player, you're going to swipe right. If you want to say, you know what, we're just going to have the contract expire and then we'll see what happens. You swipe left and you only, here's the key rule here. You only get to extend four of these players maximum. I am not going to let you play the role of John Schneider and just say, I'm going to extend all seven. You only get to pick four of them. And so that's going to make it extremely difficult. There's going to be some tough decisions that have to be made. So let's play Seahawks offseason Tinder. Let's start with the man you just mentioned, Jamal Adams, first and foremost. Are you going to swipe right to extend or are you swiping left and saying, you know what, we're going to take our shot with him just on his last year of his rookie deal? No, I, I'm swiping right to to extend him. And to me, that is one of the things that's going to lead to a very interesting conversation as far as a Quandre Diggs, just jumping ahead. Just because if you are going to swipe right on, on Jamal Adams, if you also are swiping right on Quandre Diggs, then you are now allocating a lot of money to those safety positions. Um, and then you still, of course, have to worry about your current free agents like Shaquille Griffin. So to me, that's one of the, the things, because I assume that you're going to say that you also have to swipe right and extend Jamal Adams. So I'm curious to kind of look ahead uh, and what you might be thinking about with Quandre Diggs as well. You absolutely have to swipe right on Jamal Adams. I mean, if John Snyder swipes left after what they gave up, you know, he should probably just be fired now. I mean, you can't, you can't give up two first round picks and a third rounder for a player like Jamal Adams. And then one year later, turn around and say, you know what, we're just going to have you play out the last year, the fifth-year option on your rookie contract. And, and here's the thing, I don't think Jamal Adams is going to do that either. I'm pretty darn sure if the Seahawks don't agree to terms on an extension going into training camp, I think you're going to have a very discontent Jamal Adams who's going to want that contract. So to me, this is going to be one of their top priorities is getting Adams extended. So you and I both only have three remaining with six players left, and that leads us to the offensive side of the ball. Dwayne Brown, 35, going to be 36 in August, but he's still playing at a very high level. The sixth highest graded tackle on pro football focus, still really good in pass pro, has great athleticism to get outside on the run game, and he scored 80-plus grades in both of those capacities, and he, he played in all 16 games. That's the big key. He was healthy for the Seahawks this season. Are you going to be swiping right to extend or swiping left to just let his contract expire? Like I said, there's going to be some really tough choices here. Dwayne Brown, I think you could argue, is is the most consistent of all the players on this list. But because of his age, because I do feel that, that Seattle it, it almost is like a franchise philosophy at this point, that they are not going to be paying a lot of money to the offensive line, then I'm swiping left and, and trying to uh, trying to convince him at, at that point to re, uh, come back on a one- or two-year deal um, when it's all done. But at this point, I am not looking to extend Dwayne Brown. 
I'm going to swipe to the left too, and I'm having a really hard time with it because the Seahawks currently don't have an heir apparent on the roster unless they still think that Jamarco Jones is going to be playing over there. They don't have an heir apparent on the roster. Now, maybe that changes in the draft. Maybe they use their second rounder on a future left tackle that replaces Dwayne Brown, but that scares me. That said, even with him having a big $13-plus million cap hit, I can justify that more with a player of Dwayne Brown's talent and stature, a guy that easily could have been an all-pro selection this year. He wasn't, but he played at that level for most of the 2020 season. We've seen what Andrew Whitworth has done in L.A. He's 39, and he's still playing really well. So I think you've still got a couple good seasons in Dwayne Brown. But at this juncture, I'm not extending him just yet. Out of these seven players, I just don't know that I can pull the trigger because I do think the cap hit is respectable for a top-tier left tackle. And with his age and the fact his knees have given him some issues, I don't know if I'm 100% certain that I want to commit to that extension just yet. Now going to the secondary again, you mentioned this, Jamal Adams and Quandre Diggs. If one of them is getting extended, it's going to make it even tougher to extend the other players. So now you are being put in John Schneider's shoes here. You've already extended Jamal Adams are you going to do the same for Quandre Diggs or are you going to be taking your chance at the free safety position, which is so important in Pete Carroll's defense? That's the thing is it is so important in Pete Carroll's defense. And that's why I would be uh, swiping right to extend Quandre Diggs. Now, again, that is going to put the Seahawks in a very difficult position, but as we just talked about before with how as a franchise philosophy, they have stayed away from paying offensive linemen. Of course, this is a team that has uh, paid a lot of money into the defensive backfield, just knowing the talent that, that plays on offense in this division, I think that you still need to continue to be competitive um, on your defensive side of the ball. They have been able to develop corners. They have not been able to develop safeties quite as well after, of course, the Legion of Boom. And so that might be the reason why you have to uh, decide to extend Quandry. Yeah, I'm going to swipe to the left on this one. Second straight time that I'm going to decline doing the extension. And the only reason that I'm doing that is because I do have concern about putting $26, $27 million into the safety position. Now, could we re-explore this after the 2021 season and give him an extension? Absolutely. You could re-sign him then. I just don't know that I want to throw that money in with him turning 29 soon. And that's not old necessarily, but for a free safety, you've still got Marquise Blair on the roster. Maybe you still envision there being a future where Marquise Blair can be your free safety. That's really where they wanted to play him. And then he moved into slot corner with Diggs being there. And so you do have some options there that would be truly rolling the dice. But when you have a team that's got a lot of really good players and only so much money to go around, you have to make tough decisions. So unfortunately, He's going to join Dwayne Brown. Those two guys right now, I'm swiping left. I hope they're part of my future, but right now I'm just not going to be investing that money. And that leads us out to the outside. Tyler Lockett coming off a 100 reception, 1,000-plus yard season. It really was one of the more bizarre seasons that you're going to see, Rob, though, because 27 of those receptions happened in two games. He also had a bunch of games with less than 50 receiving yards. That being said, He is still one of the best receivers in the NFL. He has great chemistry with Russell Wilson, and he's only going to be 29 next year. So it seems like there's a lot of football left in him. Are you swiping right or swiping left? (sighs) 
this is a difficult one. And it's for the same reason what you said about Quandre Diggs, you know, is that because you have the young talent and Marquise Blair, you, you really believe you, you drafted a guy there to, to potentially take over that spot. And then you had to find a spot to, to put Blair, you know, unfortunately he got injured. With Tyler Lockett, as you mentioned, he's 29 years old, but at times, Corbin, he plays like he's 35 years old. And that's the thing is that, you know, it's a really difficult decision, in my opinion, to extend him with another year on his contract. To me, you have to make him earn it one more year. And then maybe, as you mentioned with Quandry Diggs, maybe then at that point you extend him. We all know what a fantastic human being Tyler Lockett is, the rapport that he has with Russell Wilson. All of those things are absolutely part of the equation. Um, but at the same time, that he has not been quite as consistent as his statistics might lead people to believe, as you just pointed out. Um, with the incredible production of over a couple of games, but then falling off the face of the earth and too many others. And that's why I would be swiping left and not extending Tyler Lockett at this point. And I'm swiping right because I don't trust the depth behind DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Now, maybe, you know, if they were going to make a move, this has been discussed by some of our listeners, if they decided we're going to see if we can get some trade offers for Tyler Lockett and then they turn around and they sign somebody like, Allen Robinson, and then they draft another receiver. I mean, there are different avenues that you could take here, but I still believe Tyler Lockett's got several good seasons left in him. I love the connection with Russell Wilson. I don't like the depth that they've currently got at the receiver position. If you lose him after the 2021 season, there's no guarantee that you're going to have somebody that can step in and be anywhere close to as productive as him, especially with the salary cap constraints that they are currently dealing with. And so I think he has earned that contract extension. I think he's far too valuable on and off the field for this organization. And so he is one of them that I am going to be extending. So I'm going to swipe right on Tyler Lockett. And that leads us to Brandon Shell. This is an interesting one that we kind of added at the last second, but as valuable as he was to this team last year, it's worth noting that he only has one year left on his contract, and this is an offensive line that could use some stability, but they've got a lot of tough choices, including what they're going to do with Shell beyond 2021. Yeah, for, for me, again, I, I'm going to swipe left. Uh, I just I want to see him do it again. Uh, I think that he's a good player. I, I just feel that in Seattle was able to, to find a, a pretty quality starter in free agency without giving a massive contract, then, then I don't know that you have to do it this time as well. Um, the, the fact that, that Brandon Shell did come back and, and struggle so much, um, Seattle's entire offensive line struggled as much as they did when it was crunch time is, to me, part of the reason why I would be swiping left at this point. Although, again, like every other one of these players, if you were able to retain them after this year rather than extending them long term, I think that, that would be the, the best possible solution for the Seahawks. Yeah, this was the best season of Brandon Shell's career by far. I need to see him do it again. It's much different than Tyler Lockett or even Quandre Diggs that you've seen more of a year of really solid play out of him in this defense. Brandon Shell, you've gotten 12 games and you got a really rough playoff game out of him. I don't know if he is your long-term guy there at that position. I need to see another good season. If he goes out and plays really well, then you make the decision to give him a new contract. I think you can re-sign him. I don't think he's a guy that's going to hit the market unless he just has a magnificent 2021 season. I don't see him being somebody that's going to break the bank in free agency necessarily. So I think you can afford to take this risk a bit more when you look at his career track record when he was with the Jets and then this year with the Seahawks. He's also had a few injuries in his career, and that's something to weigh as well. So I'm going to be swiping left on him too. Now we've got two defensive players here along the defensive line. 
in a little bit different situations. Carlos Dunlap, he's got one year left on his contract, a $14-plus million cap hit, and that was structured that way in order to get him on the roster a couple months ago. They needed to make some adjustments to his contract. They moved some of the signing bonus over to 2021, and now you have to deal with the repercussions of that, a much higher cap hit. Obviously a fantastic player, has played 11 seasons in the league, but still seems like he's got plenty of juice. Seems like an important player to re-sign with how well the rest of the line played. And Jaron Reed's the other player here that we're going to have to make a decision on because his play was elevated with the presence of Carlos Dunlap, six and a half sacks. His cap hit is a little under $14 million. So both these guys, between them, you were looking at around $28 million worth of cap hits with those two players. And so it seems like both of these guys need to be near the top of the list to look at extensions just to try to provide some cap relief this year. Exactly. He just led right to it. I mean, that that's exactly why they would be the last two players right here that I, I would be swiping right on because you do have to be able to, to uh, you know, just create a little bit of salary cap space for yourself. Um, and then these are also two of the more impactful defensive linemen on your squad. Um, and again, just looking at the, the offenses that you're facing, the, the impact that Jaron Reed had, the, the impact that, that Carlos Dunlap had as well. Um, you know, these are two really good players and these are, if you don't, have the first round selections um you know that obviously you've already traded away and looking at this defensive line class is coming up in this particular draft class Corbin then I, I think that it basically puts Seattle in a position where they have to strongly consider trying to extend both of these players just because they are part of, of what was Seattle's turnaround on the defensive side of the ball but at the cost that they both have especially Dunlap at 32 years old you, you just can't swallow that 14 million dollar contract Yeah, that's the big issue here. I think they absolutely need both of these players on the roster next season, but they cannot afford to pay them their cap hits. Jaron Reed, as well as he played the second half, he is not a player that is worth having a cap hit of just a little under $14 million. That's Aaron Donald and some of your elite defensive tackles in the league type money. And as good as he is, he's not in that caliber of player. And so I think he deserves an extension but it's in part because we got to somehow get that cap number down. If you can work out adding a couple of years, I think he has earned that. He rewarded you for sticking with him last season. I think you've got to find a way to extend him a couple of years and try to lower that cap hit for 2021. And the same goes for Dunlap. You got to get him under contract and maybe have him finish his career here because I still think he's got a ton of good football in him. He showed that in the second half of the season. But again, at that age, with all the other big contracts that they've got, He is not going to be playing for the Seahawks this year with that 14 plus million dollar cap hit. He's going to get extended or they're going to move on from him. And so those two to me are the most critical ones aside from Jamal Adams. I think re-signing Adams right now is the most pressing concern because of what you gave up for him, him being a very young player just in the prime of his career. But Dunlap and Reed are key ingredients on that defensive line, a big part of that resurgent defense we saw in the second half. And so I am swiping right on both of them. Get it done, John Schneider. Get those guys extended at least one more season. Lower the cap hit for 2021. So they're both here. And you can make other roster moves to improve the roster with that extra cap flexibility created by extending them. 
Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Digger, Spotify, whatever your preferred podcast platform is by going to our website, LockedOnSeahawks.com. When we return for our Wednesday show, we're going to take a look at how the pre-draft process is going to be impacted by the cancellation of the NFL scouting combine. Just how different are things going to look during this pandemic as teams try to gear up for the 2021 NFL draft. Plus, we're going to start to dive in to a few outside free agents at a couple position groups that could be of need for the Seahawks as we head towards the beginning of a new league year. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Go Hawks.